0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Happy last week of July, everybody. Summer's closing in. School teacher over here and headmaster or whatever she is gave me the crazy look like it's getting really close. and It is. Um. If you have your Bible. You can turn to Ephesians, which where we're going to be today. Uh, it's weird to be back up here. I've been out a lot this summer, um, which is really it's really cool. It's kind of our plan, but it's kind of weird not to be back up here, like back in the saddle again. It's kind of things are kind of shaky. Um, this is kind of where we're going in regards to the summer. I mentioned the end of of July, so. Uh, we, we planted in uh we, we launched in March, and uh, so we're like rounding month four something like that in here and so uh number one I want to thank you guys if you if you are here, then you are a brave soul because it's not like what the product, if you want to talk about the product that we put out on a Sunday morning is the most polished clever cool hippest kind of vibe that's going on. If you're here, I really have no idea why you are, but we're so glad that you've joined, joined us to be a part of this. And I just want to just like to thank you guys for coming, but also thank you guys for, for bearing with me and with Dale and Kramer and all of us as we're trying to, we're learning as we're going along of this. I've never done this before. I've never planted a church before. I've never been like the major, Majority speaker before, like week in and week out. It's kind of different. I used to be like where you are. It's, let me tell you, it's a different chair to be in up here, a different place to stand up here. It, it's, um, I used to sit out there and think like, why isn't he doing this and why is he doing that? Does he know how long it's been? And, and now I'm up here and I'm oblivious to it all and you guys are doing the same thing and that's fine, that's all right. But I'm learning on the job, so I take constructive criticism, even if I don't take it well. I might punch you in the face, but I'll think about it afterwards. Um. One thing I, I am trying to work on is my time. So I am getting ready to set a timer right here. This, I'm going to try this. There's a, a guy, anybody listen to sports radio? I know, it's another sports analogy. There's a guy named Colin Cowherd, which Kramer is a huge fan of. He's on ESPN. And whenever he got his first, when he first started with ESPN, it was his first national gig. And he wasn't used to doing radio. And so he had his engineer make a bell go off whenever he had 30 seconds to go before he had to actually cut out at the end of the hour. And so it wasn't like professional to do that on radio, but he's like, if I don't have him ring this bell, we're not going to get in on time. And so I'm going to do the same thing. Not that I'm calling coward, but uh, I'm setting a timer right here. I'm just going to let you guys know to keep me accountable, this is what I'm shooting for, 40 to 45 minutes. That, you're laughing, but that's what I'm shooting for. Last time I was up here, I went an hour. And so that's why I'm setting this, the timer to keep, help uh, keep me accountable on that. Also, I just wanted to let you guys know what we're, kind of kind of the um, the flow of things right now. So every, if you're going to have a successful life, if you're going to have a successful organization, whether it's business or church, uh, it's going to be built on rhythms, that there are certain times of life that you're going to be really busy, but you can't be really busy all the time. You need time to rest, but you can't rest all the time or you never get anything done. So you have to develop some sort of, some sort of rhythm of life that you have, like times of rest and times of work, times of, uh, times of effort and times of relaxing, times of, times of advancing and times of kind of shoring up what you just advanced on, if that makes sense to you. And so the goal of us for this summer, because the, the team that we had, pretend that didn't happen. The team that we had, um, that's why. Thanks a lot. It's defective. It's not just because I can't. It's defective, so I'll carry it with me. It'll be a prop that I'll go run a roll with. But uh, um, the team that we had worked really hard to get us launched, and. The idea going into the summer is this team has worked really hard to get us launched. I don't wanna, we don't want to be like cracking the whip on them to keep us rolling. So we wanted to allow there to be a time of building community and recharging during the summer. And so that's been our goal in the summer is to let the team recharge and to work, really focus on community, developing the, the group that we had to try to go deeper in relationship with each other. And so that's why we've had a few fun events. We've also had the man night and the ladies nights. It's time for us to get together, get to know each other, challenge each other, go a little bit deeper together, develop some relationships. But then as we go into the fall, it's going to hit into a new season. So the church calendar, you may might be interested in this at all, but I'll let you know what kind of what the, the church calendar kind of rolls with the school calendar. It's kind of summer, people are like doing summer things and whatever they're doing, they're surfing and, you know, I don't know, parachuting and all the summer things that you do, riding the sky wheel over and over again, cruising the boulevard. Anybody here cruise the boulevard this week? Don't raise your hand. Um <laughs> cruising the boulevard, doing whatever fun stuff that you do during the summer. And then as we start to get closer to the school year, people start to like, think about like, getting back into a, a rhythm of life again. And so, so towards around the end of, of August, third week, fourth week of August, right around straddling Labor Day, people started to come, come back into church. And so we want to be ready for that. And so we're getting ready to gear up, and we're going to focus this coming school year as a church on a thing that we're calling deep and wide. So we're going to take about three or four weeks off of the Ephesians series. Don't yell and like get too excited. We're going to take about three, four weeks off, and we're going to talk about how are we as a church and how are we individuals going to focus on growing both deep and growing wide. Because there are some churches that focus on growing deep. Maybe you've been a part of those churches, and they're all about the scriptures and they're all about studies all the time, but they, it doesn't seem like they ever grow at all, like outward, like there's not, not really reaching people. And then there's some churches that are really reaching people, and, and I'm not one to judge, them, but maybe, maybe not everybody they're reaching and getting inside the building is actually becoming a disciple of Jesus, which is what Jesus called us to do. He didn't say go out and gather a crowd. He said go and make disciples. And there's a difference between getting somebody to come to a building on a Sunday morning or somebody getting somebody to come to a meeting and check a card or go to a class and somebody who's actually a disciple. That's what we want to be about. We want, but disciples are people who are growing deep, and they're also a part of the church growing wise. That's what we're going to focus on this coming fall. So this is like kind of going to actually be leading us into that today. Ephesians three in my Bible, I get to flip the page. This is where we've been the past four months in my Bible. These two pages, they're crinkly. There's some kind of stain here on the bottom—coffee or something. Um, which is kind of a shame because this was a new Bible when I started this, but I get to turn the page in my Bible, so I'm very excited. We're we're turning a whole new leaf. The new and improved docs. I'm gonna lay it there. Let's read Ephesians three ten through thirteen. You know, actually, we'll we'll, we'll back up. To eight, just to give you the context. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints. That's Paul, who was writing this to the church that he had planted in Ephesus. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So what is he saying? He's saying this is what Dale and Kramer have been talking about the past few weeks. He's saying God has had a plan. Throughout the history of time, I was thinking about how um, I I love, uh, I'm I'm kind of a geek, as you probably have learned, and uh, so back in the day when I didn't have kids or a job or like actually responsibilities, I used to love to play this uh, game called Risk. Anybody ever played it? board game. I love it because it has two things that are like I enjoy is strategy and domination. You're trying to like take over the entire world. And I'm kind of I kind of think that way. I'm kind of a sick sick guy in that way. So it was a perfect kind of game for me. And the thing that I really loved about about uh, about risk is uh, and there's another even geekier game called Axes and Allies. If you know what that is then you are a super geek and I won't even call you out here. It's a game like you know, like Monopoly lasts a long, a long time. Axis and Allies can actually last 16 times longer than Monopoly game. It's like kind of game like you leave, set up for days, and come back to with your other geek friends who haven't seen daylight. You're all pasty white. You know, that's just kind of, kind of my background, my world. But uh, the, the kind of thing that I love to do in those games is, and I'm telling you my strategy, is I'm the sandbagger. You know uh I'm the guy that's like, "Oh, don't worry about me. I'm barely making it. I only got these guys down in Australia. I'm just chilling. I'm barely making it. You need to focus on Kramer. look at him. He's about to take over North America." So I love to get everybody like all focused on each other, and I just kind of slowly build my army, slowly build my army, slowly, and try to go unnoticed, kind of keep deflecting. Like it's my turn, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll try to take this, and I'll come back here, and I'm barely making it. And then, until you kind of build up such a force that nobody can stop you, and you just like go on a tear, and all of a sudden people see your plan unfold. They didn't know what was going on before. It's your secret plan. I love that kind of deal when you got a strategy, and all of a sudden people don't know it's coming until it's overtaking them. I get excited about that. And God had a secret plan that he had been working since the very beginning of creation. He had a plan that it didn't didn't hit a detour when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve and Adam messed up and they fell away. It was all part of his plan that he was working. And that's what he's talking about here. It was a mystery. It was a secret that was hidden for ages and generations. So let's see, what is that secret? And to bring to life for everyone what is the plan, the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is our text this morning. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what he's saying is the church has been God's plan from the very, very beginning. If you want to know what God was doing whenever he flung the stars out into the empty space, whenever he created, I put on, on a uh, I put on a screensaver on my Mac yesterday, and it was these pictures of the cosmos, pictures of galaxies and nebula and crazy things that I don't even, not even smart enough to know where they are, and I'm looking at them on the screen and thinking, that exists out there? What was he doing whenever he created that? I don't know. He was showing his creativity. He was flexing his muscles, but at the heart of what he was doing and flunging the universe out into nothingness and creating the world and creating mankind and creating you is he was creating the church that was his plan from the very very beginning i'm going to read this quote to you by a guy named john piper you've heard me mention him before he's the um he's awesome some people might call him the evangelical pope but i wouldn't call him that um this is a great quote i, I don't usually like to read quotes this long but i try to think like okay how can i steal parts of this out of it and and just like but it would it wouldn't do it justice This is Piper at his best. You got to hear this. The Church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world. The Assembly of the Redeemed, the Company of the Saints, the Children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the Church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relations compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet or King Lear. And all pomp of May Day and Red Square and the pageantry of New Year's in Pasadena fade into a formless gray against the splendor of the bride of Christ. Take heed how you judge. Things are, are not what they seem. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fails, but the word of the Lord abides forever. The media and all the powers and authorities and rulers and stars that they present are mirage. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The gates of Hades, the powers of death, will prevail against every institution but one, the church. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, because the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the liberty of the glory of the children of God. Lift up your eyes, O Christians. You belong to a society that will never cease, to the apple of God's eye, to the eternal and cosmic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing is that the church was God's victory plan from the very beginning. See God had an enemy that was Satan and he was set against God. It said that he was he was once a part of God's his angelic host up in heaven and he thought he was something and so he created a rebellion against God. He got kicked out of heaven. He comes to earth. He tries to cause some mischief. He He's pretty successful. He gets Adam and Eve, our grandfathers, grandfather, 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 to mess up and to fall. And the whole world, the whole creation that God created perfect and good with man as the head of, all of a sudden falls into darkness and chaos. And so all the darkness and all the chaos and all the death and all the war and all the sickness and all the disease and all the all the suffering and, and frailty that we experience as part of human existence today happens because of that fall. Satan costs to mischief. There's an enemy of God that we find ourselves caught in this battle between. On, we're on the, that geeky board I was telling you about the Axis and allies. You got the allies, and that's, in this case, we'll say that's, that's God. You got the Axis powers and they're fighting we find ourselves the territory in between them that they're fighting over and there's this been war that's been going on and on and satan's been getting some it's seeming getting some licks in getting some punches in he's messing things up he's 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 seemingly messing up the game plan but all the while god's been having this plan that he's been working from the very very beginning all the while And we are the victory plan. Not the 25 people in this room, but the church at large, the capital C church. All the redeemed people of Jesus Christ across the whole globe throughout all of time, we are God's victory plan. All the while, he was taking punches. It looked like Satan was, had the upper hand. He had destroyed God's creation. He had it going down a dark path. He had it going down the wrong way. The world is full of chaos and darkness and death. He seemingly has got a, a hard blow in, but God had a plan that was going on. In the middle of that darkness, in the middle of the blows that Satan was getting in, he was creating the church. Who's creating a people for his own possession? And that we find ourselves in the middle of this great cosmic story. You know, if you, if you, read a, if you see the elements of story, you usually have a protagonist and an antagonist, and you have the elements of the story that, that climax at the climax and then find resolution. Um, but usually, the, the protagonist, in a lot of stories, not all the time, but a lot of times the protagonist isn't looking for a fight. They're they're not looking to to uh, to get in the deal. Uh, one of my again, I'm just going to go straight up geeky for you guys this morning. I love the Lord of the Rings. I read the whole trilogy at least three times. Watched the movies. I don't know how many times I can tell you. But Frodo did not find himself. Just stick with me, if you like. Like that's so stupid. Just stick with me. If Frodo did not find himself sitting around in the Shire hoping for an adventure, he has sort of some kind of longing going on. But but. But, but really, the, ho- the hobbitness of him, he just wanted to, to eat and have, have tea. Particularly, Bobo, his uncle, who started the whole thing in The Hobbit, <laughs> stick with me. This sounds really geeky when I'm saying it out loud. Even Bobo, he, Bil- Bilbo, I'm sorry, Bobo, Bil- Bilbo Baggins, when he's sitting at home, he is not looking for an adventure at all. And all of a sudden, people show up and they just sort of suck him into the adventure. And that's what a lot of stories are like. The protagonist isn't looking for a fight. They just find themselves sucked into the story. But uh, something happens in the, the mind and the heart of that protagonist where they cease, uh, they accept their role in the story. At some point in the story, they understand that they can't just be sucked along. They have to stand up and take their place in the story because they understand that there is an antagonist out there that's trying to kill them and take all the people around them out. And see, we find ourselves, as Christians, we believe we're a part of this great cosmic story that's been going on between this great cosmic war that's been going on between Satan and God for millennia upon millennia upon millennia in time without record. We find ourselves in the story, we believe it, but we don't act like it. We know that we have an enemy of our souls. We know there's a hero who has shown up to save us, but we don't act like it. We know there's a great cosmic war going on, but we don't live like it. We live like it's peacetime, like everything's just hunky-dory and birds are chirping and rainbows roll out for me every morning when I'm on my way to work. That's not the world that we live We Satan continues to try to lull us to sleep to try to make us forget that we're a part of this great and cosmic struggle that the church is god's victory plan so what is the church i'm gonna read this to you again this is my little thing so it's probably not very good but what is the church the church is the new community of jesus that has been created by calling to himself a people From every nation, gender, ethnicity, language, tribe, socioeconomic background through the revolutionary gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is the new community of Jesus that has been created by calling to himself a people from every nation, gender, ethnicity, language, tribe, and socioeconomic background through the revolutionary gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So first of all, the church is a new community. We are a new kind of people that have been called out from the people that we're in the middle of. In fact, at the very nature of the, the very meaning of the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word for church that you read most often in the New Testament, the word ekklesia means the called out ones. It means that you were a part of something and you were called out of that into something different. So we, and that what does that mean it means that there's there an old way of doing things before and now there's a whole new way of doing things in the new community there' was a whole there was a whole other way of thinking about your finances thinking about your marriage, thinking about your kids thinking about your career thinking about what car you drive or how fast you drive it or where you drive it or where you live or what kind of house you live in or what size it is or all these questions what kind of clothes you wear where you're going what are your what your future is going to be, all these questions that we approach it differently because we're a part of a new community, because we have been called out of darkness into light. We've been called out of that kingdom that has been warring against God's kingdom. We've been called into his kingdom. We've been won to himself by the hero. We're a new community that's been created by calling to himself a people, a people. So we, we've hit this before, but I want to hit it again that whenever you're a part of the church, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, that that becomes your new identity. Your identity is no longer based on whether you come from a good background or a bad background. Some people in here, you're destined to failure because if you look at your parents and their parents before them and what kind of lives they lived, you know like they have failed marriages, or they're alcoholics, or they're terrible with money, and you see yourself just kind of going the same way. You say, there's no hope for me to change in my life, but God says, I brought you into a new community, a new family. And so you have a totally new identity that's based upon this new community that you're part of. And more so whether you come from a poor background or a rich background, you now find yourself a part of the family of God. And God himself who created all those galaxies that we are talking about is your father, your dad, my father, and my dad. And he's called a people from every nation, every gender, every ethnicity, every language, every tribe and socioeconomic background. When we look at, when, if you skip to the end of the book, at Revelation, the book of Revelation, let's talk about the end times, a lot of stuff that, frankly, I don't understand. But here's some, some things that are very, very clear. When you see the congregation of the redeemed before the throne, it says that they are gathered from every tribe every nation, every language, every people. going can be people speaking Swahili in the new heaven and the new earth. The majority of people will not be white, middle-class Americans from the South. We will be the ones that are in the minority. Christianity does not equal American Christianity In fact, the majority of Christians right now are outside of the world. The, the, The areas of the world where the church is actually growing are people who look far different from you or me have darker skin color, live different kind of lives, have totally different culture. There's going to be kinds of, all kinds of different cultures in heaven. Thank God there's going to be Mexican food in heaven. There will be Indian food in heaven. We're going to, when, that, when the feast is spread out, I don't know what he's going to feed us, but I hope it's going to be a smorgasbord from the best Christian cooks from across the world. Ethiopia, East Africa, South Africa, all over the world, we are only a part of that. That should, that should excite you or me that we've been called out to be a part of a people that are going to reflect true, multicultural, multiracial equality and unity together. It's the ideal. It's what we want our businesses and our communities to look like, but we're always fighting with each other, aren't we? You get a bunch of people who are different together, and they they either peacefully coexist separately, or they fight with each other, or they sort of like mix in such a way that you don't even see the uniqueness anymore. But in the church of God and the new family, the new community he's creating, there's all the different languages and tribes and ethnicities all living together in unity throughout all of eternity. And that is created by the revolutionary gospel. The gospel is revolutionary, guys. Uh, maybe you and I, maybe you've grown up in church, or you've been around church long enough that it's just kind of the deal. You see the cross, you know Jesus died and the whole deal. But the message of the gospel is absolutely revolutionary. And it's revolutionary to anybody, no matter where they are or what they're doing Because it comes to the lowest of the low and it says, look, you're low and you're cast down. and You've been trodden down. You've been mistreated. Absolutely. But now through Christ, you are raised up and you are a son of the most high. So it takes the low and it brings them up. Then it takes those that are high, that are puffed up, that are, that are powerful, that are rich, that have everything going for them, and it says, look, you think that your power and your money keeps you safe, but it does not. You have to, the gospel says, you are far worse off than you ever thought you were. And it says to the low that you are far more loved than you ever dreamed, and it brings us together into a unity that can only be created in the gospel. But the power of the revolutionary gospel the, the passage that Kramer read at the beginning, when it's talked about, it gets to the part that we get uncomfortable as American Christians with, that the believers were gathering together, and we're like, we get excited about that. That's really cool, and they're devoted to the apostles' teaching and prayer. That's cool, and and then it, and it was growing like 3,000 people in a day, and that's exciting. And then it says, and they shared all that they had in common with each other, and we're like, okay, that's, that's all right for then, but you know what? There was nobody over them that was telling them you have to give up your possessions. The gospel freed them from their love of possessions and from finding their identity in their possessions and their money so that it didn't what does it matter anymore? If my identity is no longer based upon what is in my bank account or what car I drive, then I can freely give to my brother and sister who has need, who may not have a car at all, because I'm not finding my identity and value in the bottom line of my bank account on my checkbook. It's revolutionary. It changes tribal relations. It changes uh, socioeconomic relations. It turns it all on its head and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a great, precious truth that I think we take for granted. I know, maybe it's just me, I take for granted every single day the fact that whenever I become a Christian, when I put my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf, that I am sinful, I, I accept the fact that I am separated from God, and that it's only through His sacrifice that He paid the debt of death that I could not pay, that I get the life of Christ in return, that whenever that happens, whenever I put my faith and trust in that exchange, that God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside me. And so the community of believers or a community of people who God's, the very Spirit of God dwells in you, that creates quantitative and qualitative change from the way before you were called out. God's Holy Spirit, his presence is in you. And so when you get us collected together, he is in us and he is among us. That's why when it said that they had, when they were gathering, they had awe. Where did that awe come from? The awe came because there was someone in their midst who had not been there before. And so when people come and they touch base with the uh, community of believers they touch base with a community of people who aren't just a normal community of people but above us and beyond us his presence himself his very own presence is among us and that should be tangible to people who come in and hang out with us they come out, come in with us on a Sunday morning or they hang out with us in a community group or they hang out when just a couple of us are getting together for breakfast or to watch a game. There should be something different. Even if it's not in what we're doing, there should be something that they can't put their finger on. There's something that's different. There's, they don't know it yet, but there's someone that's different in their midst, in our midst. That's what the church is, a new community been called out from every nation, every tribe, every tongue by the revolutionary gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what the church is. So how is that church God's victory plan? How is that God's victory plan? Well, it's because the church is the hope of the world. There's a guy named Bill Hybels, and he, I don't know if he came up with this phrase, but he kind of popularized it. He says, the local church is the hope of the world. How is that? Well, it, it, it touches on things. It teases out some things that we've already hit on. First of all, the church is the hope of creation. If you have your Bible, you can look at Romans 8. And when God created creation, when he created the world, he created it good. He created it perfect. Uh, there were no hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, volcanoes. At the time, the world was safe and good and perfect. But when mankind fell, it says that all creation fell with him. And I, I read this in Piper's quote, but I want us to look at it, Romans eight: nineteen, "For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected, who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So the, the picture here is that the earth itself is sort of creaking underneath the weight of human wickedness. And it's the human wickedness that set in motion the hurricanes and the, the earthquakes and the tornadoes and, and, and the storms and the harshness of the world You know what? It was like in the garden. It wasn't harsh. It was only after, man had a a job to do. He had to work in the garden, so work is not part of the curse. But part of the curse was that it would come by the sweat of your brow. The world won't work with you anymore. So the picture in the garden is that the world itself was kind of, we we had a symbiotic relationship with the earth, and the world worked with us. But now it is subjected, and it's sort of groaning. It's creaking like an old chair underneath us. We, have, um, we bought these chairs in our uh, kind of breakfast table, and they look really cool. The uh, problem was, we didn't realize, not very functional well, after we got them. They, they look really cool and contemporary, but uh, part of the, it has a weakness in, in the design, and that you, you kind of, it makes it feel like you can, you can it's kind of a, a chair you can lean back on, and the more you lean back on it, finally it starts to crack. And two of the chairs have partially cracked. And so that you can still sit on them, but if you lean back on it, you like, you kind of, sometimes you can even hear it creak and it kind of. It, you like, feel like, whoa, that goes way back. And we just know they're going to pop eventually. It's just going to pop. Somebody's going to fall. Uh, you know, it may be a guest that sort of loses the lottery that day, or it might be me. I don't know. It, it might likely be me. And it'll be a funny story, and I'll tell you about it the next Sunday when I'm in here. But sort of like this, this broken chair that was once solid has been broken, and now eventually you feel it's like groaning under the weight. No weight puns to me. It, it's groaning under the weight, and eventually it's going to crack, and it's going to break, and that's what the world is like right now it's groaning it's crack we feel these cracks in the foundation that are causing all the bad stuff that's happening all the natural disasters that occur and it says that creation itself is groaning and waiting to be released from that that when we when we the world comes to the last day and he comes and makes a new heaven and a new earth new earth it will or the earth itself will rejoice at that time the the church is the hope of creation, but it's also the hope of society. It's the hope of society. We already touched on it. How inside the church is every tribe, nation, language, socio economic background. Well, the world we like we know just in general, like like. Rich people and poor people should get along with each other. Rich people should help out poor people. This is kind of common sense that we kind of know. Like, people shouldn't fight with each other and kill each other. We should sort of live with each other in some kind of unity. And so we tried lots of different exercises to try to make that happen. We tried different forms of government, different forms of economies. We've gone, we say, okay, the, the capitalistic, uh, democratic society doesn't really work. Like, if we still see the, the rich are, are raised up, and they're the powerful ones, and they're the ones that kind of, you know, control everything like puppet masters and so we'll try communism and so that it'll sort of be flat but then we see communism like that doesn't quite work out like we planned either and it's all like we try different kinds of things and everything doesn't nothing quite works right well if we design the the neighborhood a little bit different like okay so like we have a ghetto over here and we have the rich people over here like this is the hot thing now in like uh, city design like mixed use areas and so where you you try to put the rich with the poor and you try to put commercial together try to make it walkable like, if people aren't driving, like, you don't understand this, how they got this. Like, if you're driving on 501, you get angry all the time. And, and, like, if people aren't driving, maybe they won't be angry. You can walk to school. You, like, kind of live close to the poor people. Maybe you have a relationship with each other. But nothing that we do works. We know that society should be different and should be better. But nothing quite works right. The church is the hope of Society. That as the society looks into the church, that they should see a different kind of community living out among each other. Where we don't find our identity anymore on whether uh, I'm black or white or I'm rich or poor or I'm from the south or from the north or from the western world or from the eastern world, I find my identity now in Christ. He raises up the low, brings down the humble, And so all of us in this room are far worse off off than we ever thought we were, but yet in Christ we are far more loved than we ever dared to dream. That is a revolutionary message that creates a new society where the, the church is the hope of creation, is the hope of society, is the hope of families. Like we know, like families should get along, right? Like Husbands and wives should love each other. They should love their kids. They should they should sacrifice for them. They should they should help them. They should guide them. The, a home should be safe. A home should not be a place that you have to worry about getting hurt or or uh, or abused in any sort of way. But that's not the story, is it? We know all kinds of families that are fractured in all kinds of different ways. We found all kinds of ways to mess up our children and our spouses and our our parents and our siblings, we found all kinds of ways to fracture those relationships and mess things up. We know it should be different. So that's why all the like, lifetime movies and the Christmas movies are all about these warm family gatherings around a, uh, around a table and everybody's smiling and the dad's carving and everybody's all happy. And how many of us actually have like, holidays that are like that unless people, everybody's on Xanax? No. We know our families are fractured, but it's in the church that we see, only that we see that men accept the responsibility to be the husbands and fathers they are called to be, and wives are able to accept their responsibility to be the wives and mothers that they are called to be. And children's lives are revolutionized, so they're not just selfish beings who are looking for, for mom and dad to, to coddle me all my life, but they're looking to sacrifice for each other and to honor their parents and to love people together as a family, live on mission. It changes. The hope for families is found inside the church. The church is the hope of creation. It's the hope of society. It's the hope of families. It's the hope of restored manhood and womanhood. There's a, there's a huge deal going on, not just in America, but all across the world about what is a man or what is a woman and, and other, what are the definitions and where's the definitions are changing all, all the time. But the, here's just the honest truth. Like America is not going in a, great, in a great direction. And a large portion of that is that men aren't being men anymore that the ideal manhood is a guy who has no responsibility. He has lots of money, but no responsibility. He has lots of honeys, but no wife. He has lots of children, but he's not a father to any of them. He has lots of stuff, but no responsibility. And it's only through Jesus Christ and the gospel that a man is called and empowered to be the man that he is called to be to step up and take responsibility for once, to set up his life in such a way that he's worthy to be married, that he's worthy to have a wife, that he loves his wife sacrificially, he puts her and the children first before himself in his own interests and he loves them And if you have a society of men who live like that, it revolutionizes industry, it revolutionizes the the citizenship, it revolutionizes the homes, it totally changes everything. And when that changes, then you no longer have this whole pressure upon women to to have to wear the pants in the family, frankly. I don't care whether you work a job or, or whether you have a gregarious personality, but women should be free to be the women that God has called them to be to love their husbands and to nurture the children and nurture society at large. And when men don't step up and take their responsibility, then then women feel like somebody has to, and they pull the pants up and they tighten the belt, and they do what they have to to get their family going. That, the hope for that changing is found in the church through the revolutionary gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is the display case, the display case of the manifold wisdom of God. You ever walk through the mall or walk down uh, King Street in Charleston and you see all these cool display cases? Like you're like, you walk by a store, you had no attention to go in, but you think, man, that is really cool. I feel drawn to go in. The church is the display case for the manifold. That means multifaceted, every sided, wisdom of God the church is the display case for the manifold wisdom of God not just the message that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins but the truth that that message works that that message creates a new community that's where the display case it's not just us yelling and saying hey Jesus died for your sins it's us it's us proclaiming that but us living in a different way because of that truth and displaying the glory of God, the manifest, beautiful wisdom of God in a quantitative and qualitative different way of life in our community. The church is called to showcase the wisdom and beauty of God's plan. It's not just that there is a plan, but that the plan works. So that's what we're about here at Doxa. We're part of being a. We're about being a part of being. We're about being a part of that. We're about being a community of people who dis, who puts on display for the greater Grand Strand area the new community that God has created in Christ through the revolutionary gospel. It's sort of like a. Uh, an outpost in the middle of the darkness, a light that's shining in the middle of the darkness so that everybody around can look and see. The light's not here yet. The kingdom has not fully come, but it shows them what it's going to look like. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Sort of like a, a sports analogy, sort of like the spring game for college. You put out your new athlete, the freshman gets out there. To stretch their legs, the new quarterback gets a chance to, to start, to, to, to play some games, and people gather in the crowd to watch them. It's the spring game. It's not the game yet, but it's a foretaste of what's to come. That's what we're a part of now, being a part of the church. That's what Docs is a part of. That's why we have the four values that we have up here, because the way that changes our lives, and I'm bringing us into a close here, 18 seconds. Is that we're that Jesus and worship. That's the upward part. That 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 the gospel changes the way it's really about focus. But what, what is your focus in life? What's my focus in life? When Jesus becomes the focus, then all of life becomes worship to him. The way I'm a dad, the way I'm a father, the way I'm a a husband, an employee, an employer, the way I'm a citizen, the way I'm a church member, all that changes because my focus has changed from myself or from somebody around me who I get my identity from to Jesus himself and I pour out my life in worship to him. So it's about a focus change. That's the upward change. Then there's the inward change that happens. That's the community element. And that's how, how do people relate to each other? And that's where, that's where uh, the world around us and your friends, when they come and hang out with your friends at community group or they come here on Sunday morning, they came out, hang out with some of your Christian buddies and they start to see a different way that you interact with each other inside, that's the community element. That we react with each other differently because of the revolution, a revolutionary gospel. That's the inward part. And then the outward focus is mission and that's that, that's that outpost element that we're light in the middle of darkness, we're an outpost in the middle of enemy territory, that in the middle of the darkness that we live a different kind of life on purpose together to reach out so that other people who were a part of the kingdom that we are a part of, that we are called out of, can now be called out themselves into this new kingdom. And they, can, and they can be called out because they hear the gospel proclaimed, but they see it lived out. Us, they see that it works. Not just that it that they believe something different, that belief creates a different kind of society that can only be created by the revolutionary gospel of Jesus Christ. Right. Father, we um, we forget that we're a part of this great and cosmic story. We live lives like a. Like it's, it's just about getting through the day, we live our lives like it's just meeting whatever goals that we have. I'm going to lose weight or I'm going to gain weight or I'm going to gain bulk or I'm going to get more money or I'm going to rise in my career. And none of those things are terrible, but those are terrible end games. You've called us to something greater and deeper. And God, somewhere in, in us we long to be a part of something bigger. We long to be a part of something greater. And we're called to that with the church we're called to a great adventure, a great mission together. That's what we want to be a part of here. We're not the end game, but we are a part of that. So Father, I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray you would help us to live a different way when, in regards to focus, the way that we're looking up to you, and all life becomes worship. But I pray that you would help us to live differently among each other, that our relationships would be a different kind of relationship, and that you would change our focus outward, that our lives wouldn't be spent on simply accumulating or becoming whatever it is that we want to become, that our life would be lived about the mission of making you, showing that we get a chance of being a part of the church, that we get a chance to show the manifold, beautiful wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. In creating the church for yourself, that's what you've been about throughout all creation. We get to be a part of that with you. As we prepare our hearts for communion, that you would help us to think about ways that we've lived our lives and are living our lives. It's been upon ourselves. It's been upon a different kind of mission. We've walled ourselves off from community because we don't think we need it, or we feel like relationships have. Heard us in the past, but there's something more at stake. There's something more at stake in our personal relationships than just getting to know each other. But it's your wisdom of God, your wisdom being shown to be beautiful, amazing. Pray you would show us to our hearts ways that we have uh, our focus has been off. We have been focusing upon you, and my life hasn't been worshiping you. It's been worshiping other things finding identity and all kinds of other things. And Father, I pray that you would help us individually and together be convicted in ways that we haven't been reaching out to be a part of your mission, to call out people from the same place that we came out of ourselves into the marvelous light. In the name of Jesus, amen.